Thank you. Am I coming through okay? Are we hearing that? Good. Let's start with some prayer. Father, I just uh, come to you humbled uh, to have the opportunity to preach. I think about these words, and um, I also think about the words, who is sufficient for this task? And I recognize uh, I am not, but by your grace, make it so. Father, make me clear, make me concise, make me convicted that these words would be preached not just to these uh, listeners, but to my heart as well. And Father, I pray by your Holy Spirit that you would just sow these into our hearts, that these would be uh, words that are full of the fertility of God's power to make new and to bring transformation and to bring hope, to bring peace, to bring life into our hearts wherever we are this morning. I pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. All right, well, yes, my name is Nathan Edwards, and uh, I've been attending this church, or have, have attended this church a couple times, and one of the things I really like about this church is uh, your attention to the children, uh, how many kids they have. My children call this the Silly Putty Church, and uh, that's high praise from them. They love the, the Silly Putty. But I do want to make sure that the kids listen to our message today, and I, I want to start with a few words to you specifically, but I, I'm going to encourage you, and in fact, I'm going to task you with a role in our sermon all the way through. So you have to stay plugged in and pay attention. But I want to start right here with a question to, uh, to the kids. Who here is tough? Raise your hands if you're a tough kid. If you would say, I am tough. I got my daughter's hand up. I got a, I got a little guy over there. Any, any of you, uh, anybody else tough? Yeah, yeah, Henry over there, you're tough. Uh, Ellie, you're not tough? No? All right. Can, can anybody who has their hands up tell me about a time where they felt like they were tough or they showed they were tough? Yeah. Maybe, maybe uh, on, a, on a sport field or maybe when uh, you did something big at school. Do we have an answer back there? Yes, yes, I do remember that. She took a very hard test and she stuck with it. So what, what does it mean to be tough, right? Yes, what does it mean to be tough? When you don't cry, and you, and you could, right? When you want to cry, but, but you don't. Maybe that's when you're being tough. Yeah. Well, today we are going to talk about toughness in the gospel. And I'm going to use a different word for toughness. I'm going to call it grit. The idea of grit is this ability to, to face hard things, to face adversity, to respond to bad news in life and endure. And one of the ways that we're going to learn how to endure grit is going to be from the kids. You're going to help me out here. We're going to learn a simple little creed. I say part of it, then you say part of it, and then we say it back to each other again. So I'm going to say, God is good. And I want the kids to yell back to me all the time. Okay, God is good. Louder. God is good. Louder. God is good. Now, 
I'm going to say all the time, and you're going to say, God is good. All the time. All the time. Okay, let's do it all together. God is good. All the time. Okay, I'm going to be having you help me as we go through this sermon. So when I ask and I say God is good, you got to be ready. You be ready? Okay. So now to everybody, do you ever worry about how you will handle adversity? How you will handle bad news? Do you uh, wonder if you have the grit for what life might, be gonna, might, might throw at you. You know, grit is this idea, according to different dictionaries, of indomitable spirit or toughness, having courage. And anybody who's lived any life at all recognizes you need grit in this world to survive because there is a lot of adversity. But I think we all have this nagging question, do I have enough grit for what's ahead for me? How do I know that we all struggle with that? Let me ask you a different question. What is your nightmare question? What is your nightmare question? Your nightmare question is that thing that literally terrifies you. If this happened, what, what would I do? Your nightmare question might be never finding someone to live the rest of your life with. Your nightmare question might be uh, losing your job. Your nightmare question might be that diagnosis. Your nightmare question might be your death. You wanna know what my nightmare question is? The happiest day of my life was the day that my firstborn came into this world. And that was also the day that my nightmare question was born. Suddenly, what would I do if something happened to my baby? What would I do if something happened to my kid? That's my nightmare question. Do I have enough grit for the nightmare question? I don't think I do. It terrifies me. What's your nightmare question? Because that is what drove me into this text. And that is what I, I want to be answered from, from the Bible. I want to know what is the answer to my nightmare question. And it is a grace to me that the text that we have in front of us is the Bible's answer. That the gospel is enough to give you the grit to face any situation. Even your nightmare question. Paul is, is finishing up the book of Philippians, and he is finishing it up with a thank you note to, to the Philippians who gave him a financial gift to help him as he was in prison. But unlike the thank you uh, letters that I always write after Christmas, thank you for the gift, gift was great, thank you again, uh, goodbye, Paul takes this opportunity to not just say thank you, but to provide his testimony of something far more important about the grit that the gospel gives him to face any situation. This is a, a passage where he gives his testimony as evidence of the grit of the gospel. And so in our, in our sermon today, I'm going to rely on several testimonies 
to show us the grid of the gospel in various different circumstances. I want to use testimonies to let you know that what we read about in the Bible really works in life. It really works in people's life that has the same gospel that you have. It really is sufficient. And I also want to focus on testimonies to encourage you to think about your own, to discern your own, to recognize the purpose of what God is teaching you about the gospel in this life and facing different situations by relying on it, and how that is meant to bless other people. So the main point of this text, I believe, is that the gospel gives us grit because it means we are always with Christ. Now, what does that mean? We're going to see it means three things. First, whatever we receive, we can be thankful. Second, whatever our circumstances, we can be content. And third, whatever may come, we will make it through. Let's go through these piece by piece. Whatever we receive, we can be thankful. Let's look at Philippians 4.10 one more time to see this in the text. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Now, the opposite of thankfulness is entitlement is the sense that we're owed, that we deserve things. And I would say that in America, built on rights and freedoms, we've got this entitlement mentality down pretty well. We really have a sense of we deserve. Now, does having a, a, a spirit of entitlement build grit? Is that a, a, a strong condition for being gritty when life doesn't go your way? No. It, it, it leads to self-pity. I'm not getting what I deserve. I deserve better. Self-pity are not gritty people. It, it leads to complaining and grumbling. That's not grit. That's not stick to that's not courage. So when we live in an entitlement mindset, we do not produce grit in ourselves. Paul is in prison. And here we see him not pitying himself and complaining about things, but rejoicing. He is responding with thankfulness. And we, we need to understand that just because these words are in the Bible, it was not a rosy situation as, as, uh, as we read Paul's words. His, his, his mental outlook does not fit what he should be feeling. A, a Roman prison does not give you anything. You have to take care of all of your needs. If you don't have money for food, you don't get fed. And you can't make money. So he is completely dependent upon the charity of people to, uh, to survive. So his physical needs are daily in danger. If this gift from Philippi doesn't come, he might be going through a season without food. Moreover, there is so much shame in this culture of being a prisoner. 
And part of the book of Philippians is to try and help the Philippians uh, not see Paul as a dishonorable, shameful person. Because it is so embarrassing to be in prison. It is so culturally ostracizing to be a prisoner. And so he is having to battle psychologically every day with, am I worthless? Am I, have I done something wrong? Why, why am I being treated like this? But he doesn't go that direction. And finally, he is in a, he's in a state of great uncertainty. He is on trial waiting to hear if he is going to be convicted. And if convicted, he dies. We are not able to say precisely whether Philippians is his last imprisonment or his next to last imprisonment. But very well, he could be facing his last few months before he is put to death for the gospel. He is certainly contemplating that at different places in Philippians. So he is certainly thankful for the money that the Philippians send him. But if you read his words, he is not thankful because of his need. He is thankful because this gift demonstrates their fruit. Look down at Philippians 4.17. He says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. That's a strange thing and a thank you note to say, I'm not really thankful. I appreciate it, but I'm not really thankful that this came in today. What I'm really thankful about is that your faith is bearing fruit in the giving of a gift. That is a surprising response. It's strange. Why would he, he do, why would his thank you note take this form? Well, if we look at the words carefully, it's because his gratitude comes from the gospel. Do I need to move this down a little bit? What, what should I do with this? It's, it's popping a bit. Okay? Up or down? Down. Okay. Well, we're down as far as we can go now. So this strange response is is for this reason. His gratitude comes from the gospel, not from what he has or doesn't have. Look carefully in verse 10. He rejoices in the Lord, which is to say in prison or out of prison, wherever he is, he is always in Christ. That position never changes. And that is the source of his rejoicing and thankfulness. So here's the principle. Whatever we receive or don't receive, and I mean literally whatever, two things are always true. One, you have good news. Right then and there, if nothing comes your way. And second, Because you are in the Lord, Jesus is being good to you. Whether you get or don't get anything, Jesus is being good to you. And because of that, the good news, being in the good news, should produce in us a life of thankfulness, a life of gratitude. That's the principle. And if you're like me, you've got exclamation points going off in your head, and you're shouting, really? Really? Whatever happens? I can think of five, six, a dozen things that could happen that simply cannot produce gratitude. 
That would be absolutely irresponsible. And I, I understand. But I want to share uh, this and back this up with a testimony. Uh, back in the early part of the 20th century, we had uh, one of the worst wars that has ever happened, World War II. And inside that uh, war, the Germans, who were the Nazis, rounded up people that they did not like in concentration camps. And the purpose of a concentration camp was to treat people as slave labor until they are worked to death, and if they don't die fast enough, to literally kill them. And millions of people died in concentration camps. One person who was arrested and brought into a concentration camp for trying to protect the Jews was Corey Tenboom. And Corey Tenboom writes the story of her family going to a concentration camp in the book, The Hiding Place. And I want to read uh, about what happened to her in The Hiding Place. She goes to a concentration camp called Ravensbrook. And this is in her account. When they were there, they were put in this uh, barrack, a barrack 28, and it was filled, infested, with thousands upon thousands of fleas. Itchy, scratchy, bitey fleas. Every moment they were covered in fleas. And so Corey is in this concentration camp, and I'm going to read her words. I don't know how I can cope with living in such a terrible place. Her sister, Betsy, responds, Corey, I think God has already given us the answer, my sister Betsy said. What was that verse that we read from the Bible this morning? I pulled out my Bible from the bag I wore on a string around my neck. In the dim light, I read from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Oh, Betsy, that's too hard in a place like this. No, come on, Corey, let's try. What are we thankful for? My sister asked. Well, if we must be in this awful place, I'm thankful that we're together. And that the guards didn't find the Bible you have, added Betsy. I nodded gratefully. Maybe we should thank God for how crowded we are here, because that way more women will hear the word of God when we read it aloud. That's right. Betsy's eyes danced. And thank you, God, for the fleas. No, Betsy, I can't thank God for the fleas. There's nothing good about them. Well, we'll just have to wait and see, my sister answered. At first, we posted lookouts to keep a watch for the guards. But day after day passed, and no guards came into barracks 28. One day, Betsy grabbed my arm and whispered, I know why no one has bothered our Bible studies. I overheard some of the guards talking. None of them wants to come into barracks 28 because of the fleas. I wanted to laugh. All right, Lord, thank you for the fleas. Do you, do you see in, in their testimony how they recognized that they were in the Lord in the concentration camp? And they were able to see that even the fleas that were harassing them came to them in the Lord. And because of that perspective, they were able to give thanks for the fleas, because in the fleas, 
God was keeping away a far more dangerous threat. This is what it means to know that whatever we receive, we can be grateful. Notice here that gratitude gave them grit. Beloved, as we finish up this first point, I want you to recognize this. Our life, every day of our life, is held in our Savior's pierced hands for us. We live our life held in the hands that were pierced for us. And that means that everything that comes to us, whatever it may be, it has come to us in the Lord, who has already demonstrated that He loves us to the point of laying His life down through suffering, an agonizing death for us. We can be thankful every day because every day we have the Lord's love. The Psalm 23, the uh, Good Shepherd Psalm 23.6, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all my days. We know that because we have Jesus all the time. All right, God is good. All the time. God is good. All the time. Are you thankful? Are you filled with gratitude? Are you working to develop this discipline from the gospel? Families, are you counting your blessings? This is a, this is a matter of practice. To turn our eyes from entitlement to eyes of gratitude requires us to take the time to say, what can I say thank you about? And press yourself to grow that list as long as you can. Second, whatever our circumstances, we can be content. Now, contentment means that we're happy with life. It's a, it's a high value in uh, Paul's culture. It's a high value in our culture. It's a high value in the Bible. But the real question is, how do we become content? How do we become content? There's a, a story of a, of a successful businessman on vacation going to one of these tropical islands and walking along the beach, and he comes across this, this uh, uh, man who, who lives there sleeping in his boat early in the morning. And he comes to him, and he's, he's distressed, the businessman is, and he says to the fisherman, waking him up, I mean, come on. But he says to him, why aren't you fishing? And the fisherman responds, well, I, I've already fished today, and I got all the fish that I need, and so I'm taking a nap. And the businessman says, you, you shouldn't waste your time like this. You should fish all day and get more fish so that you can make more money, and then you can buy a bigger boat to go make, uh, to find more fish, maybe even buy more boats. And in, a, in 10, 20 years, you could have an entire fishing company that is making more money than you could possibly imagine. And the fisherman said, and then what? He says, well, that's the best part. Because after that, you can retire and go to the beach and just not worry about anything. You see the difference between one person's perspective on life and the other? The businessman thinks contentment is something that you earn by working hard, and the fisherman is already living the life 
skipping through all of that. There's kind of two views of contentment in that passage. There's, there's one who thinks that you pursue it by getting everything that you want, and that will make you happy. And then the fisherman kind of takes the other perspective of saying, well, I'm going to minimize my wants. I'm just going to be happy with my lot, and that's going to be my contentment. Certainly that second form of contentment is better than the first, but both of these are still inadequate. They fall short of what the Bible calls us to when it calls us to contentment. And why is that? Because the businessman's approach to earning contentment through a hard life of work and the fisherman's contentment of just kind of living happy with his circumstances is still depending on the self ultimately being at peace with whatever happens. And neither the businessman nor the fisherman has contentment for the nightmare question. I guarantee you that fisherman has a nightmare question. And that does not bring out contentment. So we see that, that, that this pursuit of contentment may be something that we all share, but our contentment that we find in this world is fragile. Paul discovers in our passage a better way to contentment. A contentment that is not produced by self-sufficiency, but that is produced by Christ's sufficiency. Look at verse 12 again. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. The difference... What is the difference that Paul has between self-sufficiency and Christ-sufficiency? It's this. Our contentment is not about our circumstances. It's about who is with us. Note this. In the gospel, we always have enough because Christ is always enough. And Paul tells us an important uh, aspect of how he came to become content. He uses the word he learned. He learned this. This truth comes by experiencing it. It can't just be given as a principle. So a testimony, I think, is in order. I've had to learn a little bit about contentment uh, over the last few years. 2020, I'm, I'm sure for all of us, was a hard year for various reasons. But in 2020, I lost my job. I was pastoring a church. I loved that church. But 2020 brought uh, enough differences between how I saw our, our, our focus and how some of the other leaders saw our focus that we just could not find a way to continue together. And so in the middle of a, of a pandemic, I no longer had a church. And when you lose your church as a pastor, you lose all your friends. So I went from having a job and, and having friends I went from having the house that I thought my kids were going to grow up in to having to sell that immediately. I went into a state of having to be homeless. I went into a state of of having every day marked with a question, what am I going to do? Everything that uh, I would say I was content with was shaken and taken away. And I just had to discover a very difficult lesson, but an essential lesson. I had to learn that I cannot secure my own contentment. 
I had to learn in the midst of all of that, I am not enough to, to secure contentment. I did not learn I am enough. Instead, I learned Paul's secret. Jesus is enough. As Psalm 23, 1, which was uh, deep in my head that year, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That kind of contentment leads to grit. I know I am okay because he is all I need. This is learned, folks. This is learned. The gospel trains us day by day to learn that Jesus is enough. Let me give you a very uh, small example. Last night was not a great night's sleep. I had things that prevented me from falling asleep nice and easy, and then I had, oh, i got to preach tomorrow night, i got enough sleep, and... And then all of a sudden, uh, things just got worse. So I had a bad night's sleep. So I could be complaining about that. I could be thinking, well, I, I don't have what I need to preach this morning. But then the sermon's here. Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough in the circumstance of having enough sleep or having not enough sleep. It's Jesus who takes care of us. It is Jesus who is with us. Where is Jesus teaching you? He is enough. Take the place where you feel most threatened and say, where is Jesus providing for me? Where is Jesus showing me he is enough? Because, folks, God is good. All the time. God is good. All the time. Very good. Number three. Whatever may come, we will make it through. And this is verse 13, verses that, that we all learned uh, out of context. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. When I was a young Christian, I used to preach that to myself when I was running. Like, oh, I can get another mile because Jesus is with me, and he's going to give me the strength. And I want to tell you something. Philippians 4.13 is not a performance-enhancing drug for your ambition, okay? Philippians 4.13 is about facing life, about facing hard life. Paul is applying the gospel to every unknown in Philippians 4.13. Paul is applying the gospel in Philippians 4.13 to your nightmare question. Whatever is in the future, whatever monster is there, whatever terrifies you at night, Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. All things is not limited. It's all things. This is why Paul, who may die soon in prison, still has confidence, still has hope, still has a, 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 the ability to rejoice why? Because whatever may come to Paul, he will face it with Jesus. Whatever may come to Paul, whatever may come to you, you will face it with Jesus. How about the parents say amen to that? Amen. Let's all say it. Come on. Kids have had to do a lot of work. Amen. 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 
Is that true of the nightmare question? Even my nightmare question. Can the gospel take care of me if something terrible happened to my kids? I, I, I want to finish with one more testimony. And this is the testimony of, of my parents. 37 years ago, my sister, who was a little older than me, started getting sick. They didn't know what was wrong with her. They took her to the pediatrician. I was just a baby. And they were afraid what it might be. And the diagnosis, the scariest diagnosis that they could imagine was pronounced that my sister had acute leukemia. And this was in the early 80s. And so my parents were suddenly facing the nightmare question. My precious daughter has cancer. And that was 37 years ago. My sister battled that cancer for two years, but she ended up dying. And so I talked to my mom this week as I was thinking about the nightmare question, and I just asked her, how did you do it? How did you go through those two years? And then how did you go through the last 35 years? How did you do it? And my mom's response was, we didn't. God carried us through it. They were able to face their nightmare question because, as my mom says, they knew that no matter what, she will be okay. And we will be together again was their constant comfort and peace. My mom has, has been able to walk with the, 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 the event, the nightmare question in her life and has learned that he wants us to depend upon him and she says, I have tremendous dependence upon him. And then she said something to me very profound. She said, it drew us to him. It drew us to him. She says, it was a saving experience. It was a saving experience. Do you hear the perspective of trusting that the Lord used this for good and that he is still using this for good? They have learned through the gospel that the nightmare question is actually something that Jesus is bigger than and that Jesus is able to redeem. He carries us through the most difficult times. That's what Philippians 4.13 means. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Friends, have you brought your nightmare question to Jesus? I mean, this is where the gospel hits the road. It's not ethereal. It's for you. It's for your nightmare question to let you know that whatever may come, Jesus will be with you and Jesus will supply you what it takes to walk through it to get through it, to learn from it, to survive it. 
As Psalm 23 tells us, verse 4, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Perhaps some of you are are holding back faith in this gospel because one, it feels like it just isn't that relevant to the life that you're living or, or, or perhaps you don't think that it's big enough for your nightmare question. It is the Jesus that carried Corey Tinboom, the Jesus that carried my parents, the Jesus that has carried me and millions of other people through every possible circumstance that says these words to us in the Gospel of Matthew. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That, beloved, is the invitation of the crucified Lord who has taken upon him all your wounds, all your hurts, all your sins to declare to you your nightmare question is not bigger than me. Come to me. Lay it before me. And I will give you rest even there. So, whatever we receive, we can be thankful Whatever our circumstances, we can be content. And whatever may come, we will make it through. How does the gospel give us this grit? It gives us Jesus. And that is the only thing that will give you the courage and the toughness to face a world full of nightmares. Beloved, we have heard the power of testimonies throughout this sermon. Now I want you to think about your own. Your testimony is the power of the gospel in day-to-day life. What has the gospel shown you? Jesus is enough. Learn it for yourself and share it. I encourage you to make that a family conversation. And finally, I want to close with The greatest nightmare question. The one that I have not talked about yet. And you're like, oh my goodness. Because I've gone through the worst one, I thought. The greatest nightmare question is this. Being a sinner before a holy God. There is no hope if you stand before God with sin. And all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and possibly be received by a holy God. Sin and holiness is like light and darkness. They cannot be brought together. The question I hope every single one in this room has grappled with is how they will stand before a holy God knowing their life has been filled with sin. This is the ultimate answer to the ultimate nightmare question that Jesus is enough. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world 
that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus is the only one who can pay for your sins. Jesus is the only one that can cover you with his righteousness. Jesus is the only one who has risen from the dead to secure your everlasting life with him. And if you want the answer to the nightmare question of what will happen the day that I die and stand before God, the answer is put your faith in Jesus. He will be enough. Amen? God is good. All the time. Everybody this time. God is good. All the time. Let's pray. Father, help our faith grow. I, I feel at times like that dad who had the demoniac in Mark chapter 9. These things are true. We have seen them, but we continue to lack the belief that we need to find the rest for our souls. So, Father, help our unbelief. By your Holy Spirit, minister to us that Jesus is enough to answer and face down and see us through our nightmare questions. And Father, if there is someone today who is yet to make a personal commitment of trust in your Son, Jesus Christ, shake that person, compel that person to know the words, come to me, are for them. And that they, in a moment can have forgiveness, can have grace, can have assurance that they do not need to face death with fear. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.